This morning for our scripture reading, we turn once again to the first few chapters of Genesis, Genesis chapters 2 and 3. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. A few verses from Genesis 2 and then all of Genesis chapter 3. We begin Genesis 2 at Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9. Our focus this morning is going to be on the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and that's referenced in these verses. Genesis 2, 7 through 9. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we jump down to verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And now chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? 
And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy, brow, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So far we read God's holy and infallible word. It's on the basis of this passage of Scripture and on the basis of many passages of Scripture that we have the instruction of Lord's Day 3 of the Catechism found on page 4 in the back of the Psalter. Lord's Day 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? By no means. But God created man good and after his own image, in true righteousness and holiness, that he might rightly know God his Creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. We're going to focus especially on that question and answer. And then question and answer eight, are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are in the first section of the Catechism on knowing our sin and misery. And in this first section, we have looked at two things so far. First, we have looked at what the law of God reveals about us, Lord's Day 2. 
And what the law of God reveals about us is that by nature, of ourselves, outside of Christ, we are totally depraved. We are unable to keep God's law even in part. So that instead of loving God and loving my neighbor as I am commanded, I do the exact opposite. I am prone by nature to hate God and to hate the neighbor. That is the direction my heart is orientated toward. That's the first thing we've looked at. The second thing that we looked at last week is the fact that God did not originally create man so wicked and perverse. God created man good and upright and after his own image. God did not create man wicked and perverse. In fact, the exact opposite is the case. God created man perfect. Yes, man was created with the ability to fall into sin, but within man himself there was no inclination to sin. Uh, any sin in his nature. As we saw last time, God created Adam and Eve in his own image, meaning in righteousness and holiness and true knowledge. God created Adam and Eve as his covenant friends, and God created Adam and Eve as his capable servants, able to carry out the office of prophet, priest, and king that God gave them in the garden. Those are the two things we've looked at so far. We are prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. And second, God originally created man good and after his own image. The question that now comes before us this morning is this. Where then does this hatred come from? Where does this depravity, this depraved nature come from? And the answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's what we look at this morning as we continue to uh, uncover and get a greater knowledge of our sin and misery. This is the next thing we look at, the fall of our first parents into sin. We take as our theme, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's going to be our focus this morning. We look at three things. First, we look at the sin itself, eating of this tree. Second, we look at the immediate results for Adam and Eve. And then third, we look at the results for us and for the whole human race. What was man's fall into sin? Well, to put it in a nutshell, man's fall into sin was simply this. He ate of the fruit, of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. That was man's sin. Now, we're going to uncover that and unfold that this morning. I think for us to understand that fall into sin, for us to understand the nature of Adam and Eve's sin, we need to focus on that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we're going to do in this first point, try to center our discussion around that tree. Before we really look at that tree, though, let's set the stage and let's look at a few other things uh, that connect to this. First, there's paradise itself. What was paradise? As we get closer to that tree, what was paradise? Well, the children could probably ask all kinds of questions about what paradise was like and what it looked like. That can't be answered. The fact is, we can't even really picture in our minds what the Garden of Eden was like and what the world was like before the fall into sin. 
right? What, what was it like when Adam and Eve could walk with God in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day? When they could walk with the lions and, and the, the bears and the lambs and everything was in perfect harmony. There was perfect peace in the whole creation. We can't imagine it. Due to sin and due to the effects of sin on the whole creation, we can't get a, a proper idea. Due to sin's effects on our own minds, we, we can't imagine rightly what paradise must have been like. You can even think of it this way, to emphasize the point. If we have a hard time picturing what life was like before the flood, right? The world that existed before the flood perished with the flood so that we can't even imagine rightly what the world was like before the flood. Completely different than the world we know it today. If we struggle with that, then certainly it is impossible to properly understand what life was like, not just before the flood, but before the fall into sin. And that's striking. Adam and Eve lived and walked on the earth only 6,000 years ago. That's not very long ago when you look at the whole history. That's not very long ago, but things have so radically changed in this creation as a result of sin and as a result of the flood that, that we can't even properly conceive of what it was like just 6,000 years ago in the beginning. Well, that's paradise. In the midst of paradise, there was the Garden of Eden and there was the Tree of Life. We can ask the next question, what was that Tree of Life? Well, the Tree of Life must have given the center of the garden an atmosphere of reverence and, and, and awe. It must have been at that Tree of Life that Adam experienced in a very special, intimate way, communion with God. And it must have been that as Adam enjoyed access to the tree of life, Adam had the knowledge and the, he, had, he had the awareness of God's favor upon him and God's smile upon him. Access to that tree of life was a, a sign and a seal of God's love and God's favor and blessing upon Adam and Eve. At the tree of life, Adam and Eve experienced that the loving kindness of their God was more than life to them. It was more to them than their daily food and drink and the pleasures of the Garden of Eden. The tree of life must have been a constant reminder to Adam and Eve that they were to seek their life out of God. He is their joy. He is the one who satisfies their souls. He himself is their life. And as they ate and tasted of that tree of life, they must have seen and tasted that God is good. It's very striking that at the end of chapter 3, in verse 22, Adam and Eve are barred specifically from that tree of life. And part of the meaning there of being barred from the tree of life is that Adam and Eve, in their sinful state, were not in favor with God. They could not enjoy life with God and fellowship with God the way that they were enjoying it in the garden. In this way, we could say the tree of life served as a kind of sacrament. It served in a similar fashion to a sacrament for Adam and Eve. When you and I have access to the sacraments, that's a sign of God's favor upon us and of enjoying God's fellowship. And when we enjoy the sacraments and we eat and drink and, and, and we're washed with the water, we enjoy God's grace and blessing. Our new man is quickened within us. Our spiritual life is strengthened and refreshed 
through the means of grace. Well, in a similar fashion, when Adam and Eve had access to the tree of life, they enjoyed that sign and seal of God's favor upon them. In some way, God must have worked spiritually within Adam and Eve so that they experienced a kind of of quickening of their relationship with the Lord at that tree of life. That was the tree of life. And there's more, of course, that could be said about the tree of life. Uh, The new heavens and new earth are pictured as there's a river in heaven, right, in the city, and there's the tree of life on every side, on on both sides, all the way down. There's more we could say about the tree of life, uh, but we move on this morning. In paradise, not only was there the tree of life, there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we want to look at that tree in more detail. And the question that comes before us is this. What was the purpose of that tree? What was the function of that tree? To be clear, the purpose, the function of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was not so that by it Adam and Eve could arrive at a knowledge of what was good and what was evil. What I mean is this. It was not as if Adam and Eve in their state of perfection, needed to eat of this tree in order to actually understand and know what the good is and understand and know what the evil is. Adam and Eve were not naive or ignorant as to what was good and evil. Rather, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. Intuitively, they knew what the good was and they loved it. And intuitively, they knew what the evil was. The very way God created them, they knew what the evil was and they opposed the evil. Again, to be clear, neither was it the case that by actually eating of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve somehow came to a better understanding of what the good is and what the evil is. No, from this point of view, there was nothing to be gained. There was nothing profitable for Adam and Eve in eating of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, If we're thinking rightly, we should say that if anything, through the very eating of that fruit, Adam and Eve lost knowledge. Their minds became clouded so that they quickly became confused as to actually what was good and what was evil. That's how it is. Man, after the fall, confuses himself regarding what is good and what is evil. So the tree is not there so that by eating it, Adam and Eve could come to a better understanding of what the good was and what the evil was. Rather, this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. By God placing this tree in the midst of the garden, God was giving Adam and Eve a concrete, direct way to choose for God and against sin. By placing this tree in the midst of the garden, God was giving Adam and Eve not only a means to serve God positively, you might say, by saying yes to God in His commandment to to tend and dress and keep the garden, but also to serve God, you might say negatively, by saying no to evil and saying no to sin, to reject evil. Through this tree, God gave Adam and Eve a tangible way to live out the antithesis. Not just saying yes to God, but also honoring God by saying no to sin. Now, all of this is true. All of this is important. But what we need to do is build on this idea and add an important thought. 
In the way of saying no to eating of this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what Adam would be saying was this. I will submit not only to God, but I will submit specifically to God's knowledge of what is good and God's knowledge of what is evil. God says that eating of this tree is evil. And I submit to God's judgment of what is evil, and I submit to God's knowledge of what is evil. Even though when I look at this tree with my eyes, I see nothing wrong with it. It's a good tree. It's a tree that has good fruit. Nevertheless, I submit to God's knowledge of what is evil and good. God knows. After all, He is God. He not only knows the good and what is evil, but he knows what is good and evil exactly because he determines what is good and evil. He judges what is good and what is evil. He has the authority. It is his authority that determines what is good and what is evil. What is good is good exactly because God has determined it to be good. And what is evil is evil exactly because God has determined it to be evil. He is God. He is God here in this picture, in this situation. And the point is, when Adam and Eve would take that attitude, well, not only would they refrain from eating of that tree, but they would also continue to actually think rightly about what is good and about what is evil. They would continue to have a right knowledge of good and evil. We can put it this way. All Adam and Eve had to do was look at the tree and submit to what God said about it. God has revealed to us that it is evil to eat of this tree. And therefore, we know what the evil is and we know what the good is. The evil is to eat of this tree. The good is to abstain from eating of this tree. And simply by submitting to that, Adam and Eve would have the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. And the point is, it's because God is the one who's determined what is good and what is evil. And I want to emphasize that word determined. God has determined it. God has set the standard for what is good and what is evil. That was put on display visually for Adam and Eve right there in the tree. And as long as they submitted to that reality and embraced it, that it is God who knows what is good and it is God who knows what is evil, then, if they submitted to that, then they themselves would truly know what is good and what is evil, as God has determined it. Now, I risk being repetitious, but I want to sum it up in a very real way then. That tree was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because by not eating of it, but having it visually before them, Adam and Eve would know what the good was, and they would continue to know what the evil was according to God's determination. But if Adam and Eve ate of that tree, well, the very reason that they would be moved to eat of it was exactly the fact that they were, choosing, they were choosing to determine for themselves what was good and what was evil. Now, beloved, I spend some time explaining this because it's this very issue that is at the heart of the temptation that Satan brings to Adam and Eve. When Satan tempts Eve, what does Satan tempt Eve to do? Just to eat a piece of fruit? 
Well, Eve was deceived. So let's put it to Adam and Eve together. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, what was he tempting them to do? Just to eat a piece of fruit? No, he was tempting them to stop submitting to God's judgment and God's knowledge of what is good and what is evil. He was tempting them to ignore the fact that God is God, ignore the fact that God, as God, is the one who determines what is good and what is evil, and instead Satan tempted Adam and Eve to act that part of God for themselves, to determine for themselves, to be as God and determine for themselves, to be as God's and determine for themselves what is good and what is evil. So Satan tempted Adam and Eve to cut themselves off from the authority of God and start determining for themselves what, for themselves what is good and evil. And that was exactly the sin Adam and Eve committed. And I'm going to put my focus on Adam because, as I said, Eve was deceived. And part of the implication there is that Adam was more deliberate. He was intentional in the sin he committed. And Satan used Eve to get to Adam, who as king and head, uh, was king and head of the human race and all creation. Adam and Eve looked at that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this was their sin. What does God know? What does God know about good and evil? What does God know about good and evil as it pertains to me? And you know what Adam said? Adam and Eve said? They said, but we know. We know what is good and evil. And it is good for us to reach out and take this fruit and eat it. We have our thoughts too, you know. We will follow our judgment on this matter. And what were Adam and Eve doing when they did that? They were doing exactly this. They were setting themselves up as gods. As if they were equal with God. As if they had the right and prerogative to determine for themselves what was good and what was evil. Isn't that exactly what it is to be God? To determine for oneself what is right and what is wrong? Isn't that exactly God's right and His position? But you see, that's what Eve and that's what Adam wanted for themselves. And we know that this was the sin they committed because that's exactly the idea that Satan tempted them with. Genesis 3 verse 5. Satan says, God knows that as soon as you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And Satan was suggesting to Eve, that if Eve only ate of that fruit, her eyes would be opened and she would be able to determine for herself what is good and what is evil. And she would be as God. She would be able, she would have the freedom to determine what was good and what was evil for herself without God telling her anymore what was good and what was evil. And that's what Eve did when she was deceived and that's what Adam did in full knowledge. And I think when we understand Adam and Eve's sin in this light, then we can also more readily understand what God was saying at the end of the chapter in verse 22. 
Verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. Now some commentators would say that God is speaking sarcastically there. As if God is like mocking Adam and Eve. Oh, now Adam and Eve have become like one of us, knowing good and evil. I think that's uh, entirely unsuitable for such a situation as this, especially in light of God's promise that he gave them earlier in the chapter. God is not looking down upon Adam and Eve with scorn or mockery. He's looking upon Adam and Eve with love. He loves Adam and Eve. So rather than taking the words that way, I think the words should be taken this way. God says, Behold, Adam and Eve have tried to act like us in trying to determine for themselves what good is and what evil is. God says, Behold, Adam and Eve have become like as one of us in the sense that they have attempted to become like one of us. They have attempted to become like us. They've acted like God's in trying to determine for themselves what good is and what evil is. That's exactly what they did. They've gone in that direction that they have chosen to act the part of God for themselves, determining what is good and evil. And in that sense, they have become like God. They have become like God, but the thing is, they have become like God in a way that does not suit them. Because to do this, to try to determine what is good and what is evil for yourself and to know what is good and evil out of your own mind, that's the prerogative of God alone. So I don't want to belabor the point, but to drive the point home, maybe I can put it this way. That tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, embodied God's own authority to determine for Adam and Eve what was good and what was evil. And when Adam and Eve ate of, their, uh, ate of that tree, their sin was this. They said, who is God? That we should submit to his judgment and his knowledge of what is good and evil. Don't we have our own knowledge? Can't we see for ourselves that the tree is pleasing to the eyes and to be desired to make one wise? So they thought. That was their sin and that was their fall. And I hope with everything that we've said so far this morning, we're getting to the heart of the matter here. What was the sin of Adam and Eve? The sin was this. They wanted to determine good and evil for themselves. To cast off the authority of God, ignore the restrictions God had set upon them. They wanted to be God in exactly this way, to determine right and wrong for themselves. And now you step back and you say, well, isn't that exactly the nature of all sin? This is exactly what we see in the culture around us. This is exactly who we are by nature and what we still have by nature as the children of God. God calls us to live the antithesis. God calls us to say yes to Him and to say no to sin. And when we, say, when we sin, not only do we ignore that and say, I will say yes to sin and no to God, but what's even more going on is this. We're thinking to ourselves when we choose to sin, who are you, God, to tell me what to do? This is my life. These are my choices. Who are you to tell me what to think? Isn't that the nature of your sin? Every time you sin. Isn't that shown to us in the inclination we have even to make up our own laws? 
even like the Pharisees, to make up our own laws and I will follow these laws instead, instead of following God's law. Or the flip side, to just walk in sin anyway and say, I don't care about God's law. I will be a law unto myself. Isn't that the attitude of someone who simply will not receive admonitions and will not repent of his sin and forsake his evil way? That's what he says. He says, who are you? Who are you, Jesus Christ, to tell me what to do? That's ultimately what impenitent sin is. When we are continuing in sin, protecting and keeping this sin, we're lovers of our own selves and our own thoughts rather than God and His thoughts. I am God. That's the sin. So let me ask you this. When Adam and Eve sinned, was it just a a minor slip-up? Was it simply doing this petty, little, silly thing as eating something they were not supposed to eat? No. It was rebellion. As the confessions say, it was revolting against God and His authority. It was the desire to cast God down from off His throne and to set ourselves up on the throne instead. It was the exact same sin that Satan committed. It was the complete rejection of the Word of God and the knowledge of God. And not only was it rebellion, but it was gross and offensive, wanton rebellion. Because God gave Adam and Eve the most favorable position in all of creation. They were enjoying perfect life, fullness of life, lacking nothing. And still they chose to sin. And what's more, Adam had just been created out of the dust of the earth. That's all he was, but a speck of dust. He should have continued to be impressed with just how glorious God is simply for fashioning him the way that he did. And yet one of Adam's first sins, or first acts, was sin. And it was sin also against the one who had made Adam his friend. God made Adam his friend. And Adam, in choosing to listen to Satan, chose to reject and cast off his friend, his friend sovereign. And so that's Adam and Eve's sin. That's what our parents did, beloved. That's what we did in the beginning. Well, what were the results? First, there were some immediate results. You can read in verses 16 through 19 of how life was going to be unpleasant for Adam and Eve. There's going to be pain in, in childbearing. You're going to be working the ground by the sweat of your brow. There were far reaching consequences for all of creation. But what we must appreciate this morning is the fact that because of Adam and Eve's sin, Adam and Eve died. We'll get to this in more detail next time, Lord willing, but right there and then Adam and Eve died when they sinned. And we can be very precise about this because God said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. They died. That was their punishment for sin, the wages of sin, the payment for sin is death. The question is, how did they die? First, they died physically. Now, not all the way to the point where their heart stopped beating, but there was suddenly a change in Adam's body and Eve's body so that they became corrupt with the corruption of death. Suddenly, Adam and Eve were weak. They were in dishonor. They were in corruption. And every heartbeat brought them closer to the grave. You you can't comprehend the, the... sudden drastic change that must have come across the whole creation 
as suddenly corruption fell upon the whole creation. You look at the beautiful colors of the fall, and, and, and it, it's so bright and vibrant, but it's at the same time a picture of death. It's dying. All creation began the process of dying. Second, and much worse, Adam and Eve died spiritually. We're going to look at this, especially next time, as we look at the reality of total depravity, but we need to mention it already now. Adam and Eve died spiritually. After Adam and Eve sinned, their hearts became corrupt. They became spiritually dead in sins and trespasses. The Canons of Dort put it this way, Heads 3 and 4, Article 1. Man was originally formed after the image of God. We looked at that last week. His understanding was adorned with a true and saving knowledge of his creator and of spiritual things. His heart and will were upright, righteous. All his affections pure, and the whole man was holy, the image of God. But revolting from God by the instigation of the devil and abusing the freedom of his own will, he forfeited these excellent gifts. And on the contrary, entailed upon himself blindness of mind, horrible darkness, vanity, and perverseness of judgment, became wicked, rebellious, and obdurate in heart and will, and impure, unholy in all his affections. Beloved, can you imagine the change? Adam sinned, and as soon as he sinned, he could not turn around and say, Sorry. Sorry, God. Because as soon as he turned around, he was dead. Spiritually dead. Light suddenly became darkness. Day became night. Fullness of life became vanity of vanities. Joy and gladness and peace in the garden suddenly became misery and sorrow and enmity and fear. The one moment he was thinking God's thoughts after him and the next, moments, next moment his thought was full of darkness and confusion. And maybe we can, understand, we can emphasize this more next time, but we should understand Adam didn't do this to himself. God did this. God stripped Adam of bearing God's image because that was Adam's punishment for his sin. Adam could no longer be given this privilege. Adam became estranged from God. He became the enemy of God. He became the ally of the devil and he became the slave of the devil. He died spiritually. God said that's what would happen. That's, and God is in control of those things. And then third, so Adam not only died physically, not only died spiritually, but Adam entered into eternal death in the sense that this was the only thing in store for him apart from the redeeming work of God himself through Jesus Christ. Adam's condition had become absolutely hopeless. Of himself, absolutely hopeless. Adam and Eve were lost in the dark. But for the grace of God, Adam and Eve would have perished everlastingly. All of this is clear when you look at the things that are recorded for us in Genesis 3. After Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Well, first they became ashamed of their nakedness. They looked at each other and they both sensed that they were looking at each other with different eyes. Depraved eyes. Hate-filled eyes, unloving eyes, sin-prone eyes. They looked at each other, they saw it, they felt it, and they covered themselves up. They understood right away, something's changed. What else? They became afraid. 
God came to them in the cool of the day. And where were they? They were hiding. And then when God confronts Adam with his sin, Adam refuses to confess his sin. He blames Eve. It's her fault. And then Adam even blames God. The woman you gave me, Lord, this is your fault. And if it's not your fault, at least it's the woman's fault. Yes, this is what Adam has become. Adam, the woman God gave you in love, the woman God gave to be your helpmeet, to be your friend and companion, and you took her to yourself and you said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and now all you can do is blame her and castigate her and vilify her and say what a wicked person she is. And in the process, all you do is further rebel against God and blame God. Congregation, you see how vile Adam became? You see how miserable he became? He hated the light. He hated the truth. And he did not want his evil deeds exposed. God came unto his own, and his own received him not because their own works were evil. But God still pursued them. Even after Adam and Eve openly and defiantly rebelled against God, still God came to them. And this is where we need to see the unspeakable grace of God. He comes down to them in this very moment, in their misery, in their darkness, in their deadness. And he gives them a promise. The promise of the seed of the woman. The promise of redemption through Jesus Christ. That's who God is, beloved. And and this is who man is. Those were the immediate results. There's more. There's not just the immediate results for Adam and Eve, but there's results for us. There's consequences for the entire human race. The result is that in Adam, all men died. We all died because the sin Adam committed, he committed as our head and representative. He he sinned as the representative of the whole human race. His sin was our sin. Not only that, but in addition, we get our earthly life from Adam. He is the source of our life. We bear his life. We bear his image as his children. And as he lost the image of God and became totally depraved, therefore we too also are conceived and born in sin, totally depraved by nature. We are born guilty and we are born corrupt. Romans 5 teaches this very plainly. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men. Why did death pass upon all men? Because all have sinned in Adam. And therefore, just as Adam was in his sin entirely hopeless, so we, his children, are of ourselves entirely hopeless. And when you look at the sin that Adam committed and the sin that we committed in him, wanton, revolting, revolting against God, then you can also say this. This is right. God is just in all his actions, in all his pronouncements. He would be just in sending all men to hell. He would be praiseworthy in sending all men to hell. This is what we deserve. This is our misery. That's where we are in the catechism. So that our only comfort, our only salvation, we might see is in Jesus Christ. Well, this is where we see the grace of God. Because just as he came to Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them that wonderful promise that he would put enmity, put hatred between Satan and them, 
and, and he would bring them back to be his friends so that they were with him, hating the devil, so God also has come to us. And he has come to us not only in speaking to us his promises, but he has come to us, of course, by himself taking upon himself our flesh in his own son, Jesus Christ. And through his son, Jesus Christ, he fulfills all those promises. Through Jesus Christ, God takes away the guilt of our sin, bearing the punishment himself for those sins. And through Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ, God also takes away our corruption so that he takes us out from spiritual death to spiritual life. He restores us in his own image and he makes us his friends and his servants once again and the enemies of Satan once again. Romans 5 verse 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. That's the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior. So beloved, as we come to the end, we say we cannot conceive what that first paradise was like when Adam and Eve walked with God and talked with God, how wonderful that must have been. And then in light of how God created Adam and Eve in his own image after his own likeness, what a wicked sin, what an offensive sin we committed. But this is God's grace. He gives himself, he gives his son to be our second Adam, to be our new head, to be our new representative. And through Jesus, who is the second Adam, we are restored to perfect peace and fellowship with God. And what God's word also tells us is that although we cannot conceive of what that first paradise was like, there is also a second paradise coming to us, to all those who are in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. A paradise that will be more glorious than the first. Uh, and it will be more glorious in order to showcase God's glory even that much more clearly. And what is our comfort in all of this? Our comfort is we don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to the first Adam. We belong to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We've been engrafted into him through a true and living faith. We are Christians. We are believers in Christ. He is my Savior. My identity is in him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we are humbled again by who we are of ourselves and what we did in our first parents. But we also, at the same time, stand the more amazed at thy grace and goodness shown to us in Jesus Christ. We pray that all this study, this preaching, this opening of thy word and reading it may work within us a greater joy and comfort knowing who we are in Jesus. And may it all then further redound to the glory of thy most holy and awesome name. Thou 
the God of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.